0: We're looking at Jeremiah 29, and we'll just read the first seven verses. Christian, hear the word of the Lord this morning from Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metalworkers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsiah, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Jeremiah's letter said this. The peace, the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, keep your Bibles open to Jeremiah 29 and look at it with me for just a minute. Uh, Friends, it was a confusing time to follow God. Things weren't great. God's people had been slowly turning away from his word for decades, and even worse, God's people's own spiritual leaders, Israel's spiritual leaders, were spouting all kinds of positive, feel-good messages. The only problem, of course, is that our God, is righteous and good and also just. And our God is not mocked. And so just as He had warned His people over and over again through the prophets, and now through Jeremiah the prophet, God was going to remove His people from the promised land in Israel and send them to a far city. And that's exactly what has happened here in Jeremiah 29. God's people have left their culture, their center of worship, the land that forms and fashions their identity, and they have been moved into a culture not their own. They have been taken in exile away from Israel and Jerusalem into Babylon. They were quite literally and existentially and emotionally and spiritually, they were exiles in every sense of the word. The city that they were living in was not the city they were raised in. And the culture the values, the places of worship in which they were raised were no longer their reality. And it was no longer where their kids were going to be raised and where their grandkids were going to be raised. And they were living in the irreligious city, the great city, the alluring city of Babylon with all of its own values and culture. So how in the world... Are God's people supposed to live in a city not their own? How are they supposed to live in a community that is in every explicit and implicit way they see working against and contrary to God's will? Uh, Friends, to put it mildly, it was a confusing time to follow God and things weren't great. Israel's spiritual leaders were suspect. Uh, The surrounding culture was Overwhelming and deafening to God's people. And don't mistake it, the city was quite alluring. And Jerusalem was only a memory. So how are God's people supposed to live in a city in which they are the exiles? And the values that they are surrounded by are not God's values. Uh, Friends, if that sort of cultural fog was surrounding God's people, there's only one thing that really cuts through the fog. And it's the clarity and the light and the truth of God's word. And it speaks to us today as profoundly as it did to Jeremiah's exiles. If, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see. So what does God tell us people to do in the midst of a culture not theirs, in a city not their own, as they pine for the promised land? Well, look at Jeremiah 29, and let's look at God's advice and God's command. Listen to what he tells God's people to do in the midst of a culture not their own. Jeremiah 29 verse 5 says, be terrified of the culture around you, terrify your children, talk about the decadence all of the time, turn on the news, never turn it off, and repeat this cycle endlessly forever online. Oh, is that not what it says? That must be second opinions. Let's look back at Jeremiah. (laughs) It's my favorite book of the Bible. Turns out it's everybody's favorite book of the Bible. You're all in love with second opinions, right? (laughs) Only overshadowed by first opinions, right? (laughs) Look at Jeremiah 29.5. What does God tell us people to do in the midst of a world uh, where they're the exiles? What does he say? He gives shocking, shocking commands. If this doesn't sort of unsettle you, you're not hearing what God is saying, (laughs) He says in verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, have kids, don't scare the children, don't scare the kids, don't scare them, have hope for the future. Now, of course, Israel's spiritual leaders at this time, you know what they were telling God's people? Things are going to be okay. It's all good. God loves us. Things are going to work out. And uh, it'll, it may be only be two years. Don't worry so much. Everything's going to be okay because God's on our side. So give it a couple of years, and we'll be right back. Things are going to go right back to the way they were before. In fact, that's actually Jeremiah's argument uh, with Hananiah. That's what Hananiah the false prophet says in chapter 28. Everything's going to be fine. Things will go back to the way they were before. So just sort of bite your tongue. Maybe don't have as many kids. Maybe don't buy a home in the neighborhood yet. We don't know what the property value will be like. And maybe soon enough we can get out of here. Listen to what God says in verse 8. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. God gives shocking advice and commands to his people. You know what he says to the Israelites? He says, move into the city. Buy your house. Pray to God on behalf of its peace, its shalom. Don't scare the kids. Have kids. Maybe, you know, have a few more if you're willing. Certainly don't scare the kids about the future. And you may think it's because everything's going to be okay, but what God actually says is you're staying here much longer than you want to. It's not going to be two years. It's going to be 70 years. You're going to die here, and your kids are going to die here, and maybe your grandkids will make it back. But for the meantime, what you are called to do is to embrace the city in which I have placed you and to be salt and light in the midst of it. See, what God is telling his people to do is Move and lean into the city, the, the, the secular city, and pray to God on its behalf and keep your convictions about who I am. You know, when we were supposed to pray for shalom, you see that word right there in verse 7, it says seek the welfare. Um, if your translation says welfare or peace, um, that's okay, don't let that bother you because that Hebrew word is actually hard uh, to have a one-to-one ratio in English. Uh, you know the Hebrew word is called shalom. You've probably heard that said. And we may think that, mean, that word means peace. But actually shalom is a, is a much broader and deeper and wider idea. It, it is actually closer to the idea of flourishing in every facet of life. If if life and community is like a fabric, it's having this beautiful tapestry woven together and not frayed and torn apart. Um, Cornelius Platinga gave this beautiful definition of what shalom means in the Bible. He says this, Shalom, welfare, peace, means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creators in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And notice what God is telling his people in Babylon. You are not to be of Babylon. You are not to worship Babylon's gods. You are to worship me alone. And what that means is you need to lean into your community to love it and pray for it and pray for its flourishing. You see, Christian, the advice that Jeremiah gives is actually very, very, very similar to the advice the New Testament gives you and me. Peter, remember him, Peter? In his first letter to Christians, he calls them elect exiles. The author of Hebrews tells us that you and I are strangers and aliens in this world. And then profoundly in Hebrews 13, you know what it says? We have no lasting city here, but we seek the city that is to come. Zion, the city of our God. So that doesn't mean, though, Christian, that we're supposed to be pie in the sky otherworldly. What that means, paradoxically and amazingly, is that we are to seek the peace and the flourishing of the community in which God has placed us. We, quite literally, are called to pray for its flourishing. Remember how Jesus entered our world? Remember when God entered our world? You know, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Dwelt there means He, he made His tent. He moved in. He, as the message translation says, He moved into the neighborhood. Christian, do you know that you have no lasting city here? Do you know that? Do you seek the city that is to come? What you and I are called to do profoundly is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And just as he came from heaven and moved into the neighborhood and sought its flourishing, you and I are called to be the salt and the light of Christ. And what does salt do? It preserves. It preserves. Friends, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a confusing time to try to follow God. Things aren't great. But friends, fellow exiles and sojourners seeking the city that is to come, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, the gospel will empower you to love the Rogue Valley in a way uh, that you may never have loved it before because you will seek its shalom and its flourishing, and you and I will be the salt and light. Uh, friends, with that in mind, would you pray with me now for our community? Father, we thank you for your letter that you sent to the Israelites, that they should be the salt and light, even in Babylon, that they should cling to you in the midst of the great city Babylon. And Father, uh, we often feel nowadays uh, that we're living in a city we don't recognize and in a culture that doesn't share our values. Uh, So Father, I pray that you would keep us from despair, that we would set our confidence on the power of Christ through us, And, Lord, we pray that the city in which you have placed us and in the community that we find ourselves in, that we would seek its flourishing. Uh, Lord, that people would rightly see you for who you are. Lord, that artisans and merchants and shop owners and teachers and nurses and doctors and business owners, uh, Lord, that they would experience shalom, flourishing not for material gain, but to reflect your character and your passion for justice. And Father, we pray for revival among our churches. Lord, that um, every congregation would renew its passion for your gospel. Lord, that you would give us a vision for our community. That it would truly be a place where you are glorified and honored in every heart. Lord, we ask all of these things boldly in the only name that could ever bring it about. In the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.